It's that time once again, press fans, coming to you from Altman Studios in downtown Brentwood to your ears wherever you are. This is Clocked In With The Press. I'm your host, Jake Menez. We've got a great episode here today. I'm going to be sitting down with Jeff Palmquist, the superintendent of Oakley Union Elementary School District. But before that, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Sip and Scoop in downtown Brentwood. Sip and Scoop delivers smiles for miles, sip by sip and scoop by scoop. Gelato, Italian ice, and signature coffee beverages are just a few of the delicious treats on their menu. Stop by Sip and Scoop at 234 Oak Street in downtown Brentwood to get your fix. They're also on DoorDash. Thanks once again to our sponsor, and thanks to Jeff for being here today. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jake. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with you about all the great things happening in Oakley Union Elementary School District. And we're glad to have you. So this is your first time on the podcast. So I think we'd love to do some background on you first. Let's kind of zoom out before we look at the school and just tell me a little bit about you. So how long have you been superintendent? So I have been superintendent for a little bit over eight months. Started in late August. Really, the third week of August was my start date. And so where were you prior to that? I spent the prior three years as the assistant superintendent of secondary education for Lodi Unified School District. And that was a district that I grew up in as a student and and a teacher and, and began administrative career there. What prompted you to come to Oakley from Lodi? Yeah, that's a great question. I had been in two cabinet-level roles prior to being the assistant superintendent in Lodi. I was an associate superintendent for Aspire Public Schools, which was a charter management organization in Stockton. And in those two roles, what I found was that I really loved the complex nature of the work of trying to solve problems with various groups of people. When COVID hit, and those problems got exponentially more <laughs> difficult. I found that the, the problem-solving aspect really spoke to me. I knew pretty early on that my journey in education wouldn't be complete if I didn't have the opportunity to work as a superintendent, to really partner with all levels of the community and leadership in order to make great things happen for kids. And so when the opportunity in Oakley presented itself, and I was familiar with the school district and the area, you know, Delta community, uh, not too far from my own, I saw that as a great opportunity to throw my hat in the ring. So you took the words out of my mouth when you said the problem-solving opportunities grew exponentially with COVID, because you would have come in you said in August, which is sort of a weird, nebulous part of the whole pandemic phase. <laughs> what was it like transitioning into this new role amidst that? Yeah, and anybody in any school level position can tell you how difficult it is to start a role after the school year has started because there's a lot of work that goes into those first few weeks in preparation. That's always difficult in any role, and in particular in this role. Again, I'm always driven by my passion to serve kids and to partner with staff and families in the community. And so I made that my priority is getting to know people, picking up where we were, not coming in and trying to undo all the good work that went into the start of the school year or all the great work that's happened for so long in Oakley, but really come in, meet the district and the community where it was. And that was my approach. It's only been eight months, so I'm still, uh, you know, getting to know folks and getting to know all the, the nuances and the history of our community and of our district. I can say that the pandemic has made that particularly challenging because you're right. I came in in August in the middle of a surge. <laughs> I was hoping that might be the last surge. And as it turns out, you know, we got that surge in the winter as well. And so almost half my time in this role has been in a surge. So let's talk about your time in the role. So on a day-to-day basis, for people who might be listening who aren't fully aware of what a superintendent's job entails, what does the day in the life of Jeff Palmquist look like? Well, every day is a different day, (laughs) and every day is a new adventure. You know, there are some things that are, are very structured, 
you know, weekly cabinet meetings with the district level leadership, weekly principal meetings with our site level leaders, board meetings every other Wednesday night. There's a whole rhythm to preparing for board meetings and having, you know, not only the document prep, but uh, keeping board members informed and prepared and interfacing with community concerns along the way. In addition, there's no aspect of the school operation that a superintendent is involved with at some level. And so checking in with department heads, reviewing programs and plans, financials. And we have wonderful people doing, you know, that division and department level work. But a big part of my role is working side by side with them to be the connective tissue between a lot of those pieces. And frankly, a lot of COVID-related issues have directed my attention in the eight-month period. We meet with the County Office of Education. Uh, Superintendents do somewhat regularly as well as Contra Costa County uh, Public Health Services. And so because of that, we feel connected and informed across districts, but that's another layer and component is being up to date and aware of all of those things. So a lot of it, you're really the maestro conducting all these different elements. You might say that, or you might say all those different elements conduct me. (laughs) It really does depend on making sure that we stay focused on the district's priorities, that we're being attentive to issues as they arise. So sometimes I hold the baton, but other times the situations hold the baton and they call for us to step up or come together. So I want to go back for a moment. One of the parts of your job that you mentioned was interfacing with community concerns. So I was curious what sort of concerns you've had to interface with recently. Yeah, certainly the pandemic and the nuances of working between different jurisdictions, different levels of health orders and and things of that nature. uh, Certainly that has the public's attention on all sides of those issues. And I wouldn't say two sides or both sides, because as we know, there's just many, many sides. And so most of the concerns related to to the pandemic are about the speed at which we will, and and I would put some air quotes here, (laughs) uh, get back to normal or get back to, you know, business as usual. And so like anything, we're on that process of getting back to where we were on some things. and, And that journey is still before us and some other things. For some people, can't happen soon enough. And for others, any changes happen a little too soon. And in between, there's a variety of, of opinions. So we get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of feedback mostly through through email and phone call. But we also have our public meetings and opportunities for people to share where they're at. And what I have found, like so many parts of our society, and I'm sure that you've seen in the in the work that you do, there's just a variety of places where people are coming from. And so for us, the challenge is listening to those voices, incorporating them in decisions that need to be made, and really trying to be uh, responsive while also navigating the constraints. And some of those constraints are new things that pop up along the way, whether that's policy procedure, financial considerations. But yeah, there's no one size fits all, certainly. And COVID has stretched every institution, but in particular schools, ability to stay on the same track. We have to pivot a lot. And so today is the third, today's May 3rd, just for reference, because everything is changing pretty rapidly. This may change by the time people hear this episode. But where does the school district currently stand as far as COVID regulations and guidelines? So in our district, we didn't implement a lot of our own independent regulations or guidelines. We really tacked a course to the county and into the state. Oftentimes the county, you know, was in line with what the California Department of Public Health was was putting out, but 
ultimately we aligned to them. And so as their policies and procedures and guidelines changed, we in line with them followed suit. Now in March, obviously some of those changed. They changed from requirements to recommendations or strong recommendations. And so as such, we, we, we followed suit as well. In most cases, that it has been a good strategy to stay aligned with the county. And as they update you know, information and guidance, then we somewhat quickly follow suit. We're still working on some pieces, access to campus and how the public can interface with campuses and events. We're still navigating that as the responsibility comes back to the local level on some of those things when the requirements go away. But in general, our strategy was to align with the county and with the state. And that's what we did. One thing I've seen across some of the other districts as we've been reporting on COVID and just how it's affected the school districts is there've been some fluctuations in enrollment numbers that some of these districts has some parents turned to like independent studies for their children. Has there been a big impact on that within your district? Yes, there certainly was. Last spring, as districts had to respond to changes in independent study and offering virtual options, we made the decision to partner with local school districts. In particular, our biggest partner was Antioch, but we had other partners as well to service the students who chose that option that was available to them by state law. We didn't have an in-house program. And so because of that, we, we certainly did have students avail themselves of those options. Since then, we've begun a pilot to service students that were not attending and didn't have enrollment in a virtual program so that we could build the capacity to serve our own students you know, within the district. We definitely noticed that impact, and that's on the enrollment side, but also on the attendance side as students needed to be in isolation or quarantine, as the guidelines of the day dictated, we certainly saw that impact the number of students who were attending school. So with the guidelines relaxing now as time goes on, are you seeing the pendulum swing the other way where those students are returning? So at this point, because we were piloting that program, we're able to service the outstanding need that we had, whether that was wait lists or students who were pending programs. So we're able to bring them back in in in-house, so to speak. We have seen some fluctuation with students coming and going, but I think that door swings both ways. And so I think we're in an era where people are, each family is trying to make a decision of what's best for them. And it's a moving target as those guidelines change. So yes, we have seen that door swing both ways with families making decisions, but it's still pretty early. Uh, You know, it's been not quite even two months since, you know, some of those things took hold. So we're optimistic that our ability to serve students virtually in-house will have a a positive impact on those who might otherwise seek programs somewhere else. And we are finding that families are adjusting to to those changes that are occurring on the sites for the in-person learning. It's still in its infancy, obviously, this pilot program, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it, just what it sort of entails for these students that might want to pursue that avenue. Sure. We noticed that we had a group of students who were not enrolled in in an external program, but were also not attending in-person instruction. So it was certainly a call to action to make sure that these students were served. While we had the agreements with other places that might relieve us of some sort of statutory obligation, we felt uh, certainly the moral obligation to, to, to serve our kids. And so because of that, we looked for partners and programs that provided some virtual pieces. And we found a a partner in Pearson that offered a lot of the things that we thought would be essential from a curriculum and delivery standpoint. And then in-house, we wanted to make sure we were providing the synchronous and live instruction that's required by the state. So we do that internally with our staff, but we use also an online digital platform to do some of those other pieces. And so we begun that program this year with 20 students, and we are piloting it through next year. And the 
idea is that it will flex and grow as the need within the district arises. And out of curiosity, just to put that into some sort of context, it's 20 students. How many students are enrolled in the district, give or take? Prior to this year, we've hovered right around 5,000, and that number gets a little closer to 4,900. And again, that's also a number that is constantly changing and moving. So those 20 students are the residual number of folks who haven't been served somewhere else, but we're still needing to be served. It's my understanding that attendance and funding are fairly closely linked for schools as well. So with the shift to some of this being online, how has that impacted funding for the district? Yeah, that's also a great question. And a lot of times people believe that it's the total enrollment as to how schools are funded, but really is attendance. It's the percentage of the students who are attending on a daily basis. We call that ADA. What the state did when they realized that not only was there declining enrollment across the state, but the unique aspects of the pandemic that would impact a student's ability to attend campus or maybe choose to be online or some other variable, they froze that formula and provided safe harbor for the past couple of years. So the district's current average daily attendance isn't what the funding has been based on in the past couple of years. However, the state is currently considering different ways to address that moving forward because with declining enrollment in the state and still not being I don't know when we'll ever be finished with the pandemic, but the, the effects of the pandemic still being felt. The state is currently looking at options as to how they will address school funding moving forward. So it'll remain a moving target for the foreseeable future then? The state ultimately will need to land on some things. You know, the governor's budget comes out in July and says some, some aspects should be determined by them. But there are certain bills and ideas that are bouncing around that would come into play even after that time. And so it's an open question, and it's one that a lot of districts, all districts, are keeping an eye on because the ramifications of that formula and the determination of how schools are funded has massive implications. So while the the freeze has been nice in order to be able to predict the revenue in this otherwise unpredictable time, the future is very much a question mark. Great answer, Jeff. Thank you. I know it's difficult to pinpoint an answer for something like that when it's always changing. And so we're looking forward to seeing how that develops as time goes on. We're going to take a quick commercial break here to hear one more word from our sponsor. When we come back, Jeff and I will continue to talk about the district and what some of the priorities are that the district has set. Today's episode of Clocked In With The Press is brought to you by our friends at Sip and Scoop in downtown Brentwood. Sip and Scoop started out as a food truck, serving coffee, hot cocoa, and desserts on the go, but the demand was so high that they had to open a shop at 234 Oak Street. Here at Clockton, we love Sip and Scoop. They're just a few doors down from our offices, and we're there often enough that they know our names and orders. It's like cheers, but better, because there's dessert. Try their cold brew coffee, or choose a latte or Americano for a classic coffee drink that can't be beat. And we haven't even talked about their breakfast sandwiches and avocado toast. Have I mentioned the root beer flows and the iced lemonades? Those are my personal favorites. <sighs> Okay, obviously I could talk about food all day, but here's the point. You gotta go to Sip and Scoop. Visit them at 234 Oak Street in downtown Brentwood or have Sip and Scoop brought to you wherever you are by DoorDash. Having an event? Let Sip and Scoop cater it. Give them a call at 925-684-7710 to find out more. Thanks once again to our sponsor. I'm still here with Jeff Palmquist, the superintendent of Oakley Union Elementary School District. Before we went to break, we were talking about some priorities that the district has set going forward. Jeff, could you tell me a little bit about some of those priorities? Yeah, I certainly can. Thank you for asking about those. The board and I met early on to discuss the direction we wanted to head to serve students in the midst of the pandemic, knowing that that is an umbrella, that doesn't mean that we can't prioritize and shouldn't prioritize aspects of our ed program. 
we set goals in teaching and learning, in facilities assessment and management, and in analyzing our resources and our structures to maximize that for our students. The teaching and learning goal is the one that certainly gets any educator most excited and certainly excites me. Teaching and learning is what we're all about. We're doing this conversation, we're taping this podcast during when we celebrate and when many places celebrate staff and teacher appreciation week. And so we uh, recognize the magic that happens on school campuses and in classrooms when skilled and compassionate adults work with our kids. And so setting a goal in teaching and learning should be and will always be our priority. Where we've aligned that goal is around a literacy grant that we're very excited to receive in the fall. We're partnering with the Contra Costa County Office of Education and the San Diego County Office of Education in one of their school districts, Oceanside, in order to really flush out the state's goals for literacy and their priorities for literacy. They're, the state of California is launching a, an ambitious plan to make sure all students can read by third grade. And so uh, because of that, we were selected to to be the, the districts and the counties to focus on priority four. And priority four is really that TK5 programs build school capacity to support students struggling with reading, including, but not limited to, students with disabilities and students with dyslexia. And so we have the honor and the privilege to partner with county on a three-year plan to build our capacity to serve those students and use that as a lighthouse project for all the other teaching and learning, not only in our district, but with the state. And part of that, because we're focused on priority four, we're going to be partnering with all those other districts that are focused on other priorities. So what does that mean for us? It's a three-year project. The first year's goal is really more at the uh, district level. It is building our capacity for what we call MTSS, but it really is our support system for students, building our capacity with site-level leaders and as a district to analyze where we're at in supporting our students. But at the end of this year, and really the work of next year, is drafting a district literacy plan and site-level literacy plans, and then aligning best practice and improvement cycles to make sure that we are aligned and consistent and really utilizing the best strategies possible to serve students. So year one is building district-level capacity. Year two, the goal is to build the site-level capacity through those, those literacy plans. And then in year three, the third goal is about community and family partnership and engagement in that. And so by the end of three years, we will have exhausted the, the, the scope and structure and resources of the grant. But what we'll have done is build our capacity both at the district level at site level, and in the community to support our students. And then we'll also get to share that information and that data and the, and the partnership with other districts and counties up and down the state. And so as far as any priority goes, that is always going to be the meat and potatoes of what we do in education. It's our teaching and learning goals. If I can ask, why were these the priorities that were set for the use for this funding? You know, those priorities were, were largely in step with the grant application itself, which came from the state. The, the state set their priorities and put out grant applications and selected partners that they thought could best implement them and that could work with their county offices to do that. So these priorities were set with the county and district, but really in the framework and parameters of the grant set by the state. One element of the school experience that I think is also so important is how the facility can help to provide that education. Are there any priorities set for that? 
Yes, absolutely. And that's a great point. The Board of Trustees also recognized that that same thing, that uh, we needed to be analyzing the condition of our facilities to provide safe and great places for our students to learn. We had an existing facilities master plan. We had been doing work around managing our facilities, but the board wanted to keep that a priority and, and really enhance that focus. We were already able to undertake some, some large projects. We painted uh, both middle schools and did some asphalt projects and received a lot of very positive and warm feedback. Uh, I know that those were appreciated projects from those local school communities, and, and uh, the team had built multi your goals and strategies to meet that. And so we're going to continue on with those, but then also take a fresh look, use partners to ensure that we have itemized and assessed all of those conditions to their fullest so that we can use resources to prioritize those projects and accomplish them. And that, that is definitely a top priority for the board. Now would be a good time to clarify for people who are listening who may not be the parent of a child in the district, which schools are under your umbrella? The schools under our umbrella, well, we have nine schools, seven elementary schools and two middle schools. Our middle schools are O'Hara Park Middle School, Delta Vista Middle School. Our elementary schools are Oakley Elementary, Vintage Parkway, Summer Lake, Garinger, Almond Grove, Laurel, and Iron House. So it really is just a huge district in that regard. <laughs> we have nine schools and, and it is spread out uh, geographically across the region, schools all the way out near Bethel Island and then schools that, you know, are into the center and, you know, all parts Oakley. And so what is the challenge of managing such a large district compared to some other ones that are certainly much smaller? Well, our district would be considered on the smaller side of uh, medium. <laughs> so anytime you get beyond a handful of schools, you always want to balance consistency and alignment with serving the needs of each individual school community. And that's, that's, a, that's a challenge in any district of any size. But as you start to get uh, multiple feeder patterns, it's trying to align that consistency across them, which is why it's so important for us to, to focus on the priorities I mentioned, to focus on the teaching and learning priorities so that we can provide that continuum of service across all sites, focus on a real in-depth facilities plan so that each individual school community is getting what they need. I've hit you with a lot of the heavy questions up front. Let's take a quick moment. And let me ask you, what is one of your favorite moments as, as a superintendent or even just as an educator in general in your time in your career? Yeah, there's no question that what beats inside uh, what I think almost every educator's heart, certainly this educator's heart, is uh, serving students, serving kids. So anytime I get to be with students and anytime we're involved in student-facing activities, that's the thing that gets me I would say the most engaged and, and enriched and excited in the work. And uh, when whether that's classroom visits and seeing students in their learning habitat, oftentimes it's even just taking a walk and, and seeing our students on playgrounds or outside in the coming and going of their day that certainly nourishes you. But I, I would say that it really is interfacing with students. There's a few moments where we've, in the course of school and class visits, where students are involved in uh, in activities, I get to join in with them, and I certainly love that. Asking a student what what they're learning, what they're working on. We did uh, some site visits on Earth Day, and it was so exciting to hear the unique perspectives that students at all levels, all age groups had on on Earth Day, the information they had learned in class, and you could tell there was some deep and rich learning that had occurred, and that students at all grade levels had been engaged in not only conversation and learning, but forming their own their own thoughts and opinions, really the the through line between what they studied 
and what that meant maybe for the you know their lives or the world and so that call to action that that earth day those earth day visits were were incredible other things that i love were going literacy week and reading in classrooms and being able to select a book and and share it with students and then ask and answer questions back and forth. Those are the types of activities that that are not only fun, but they keep you close to the students. And, and like I shared, that's where the magic happens. The magic happens in, in classrooms and on school sites with the amazing adults we have leading our students. Right. Just that it sounds like that experience is just so enriching to see the process and to see the process working as well. Absolutely. I'm blown away by the level of care and the level of not only competence, but high-level execution that our educators have. There are across every site and every day, I'm inspired by seeing talented people serving our students. And so every opportunity to see that is exciting. Some of those are flagship type events, but just the day-to-day too, seeing how teachers set up, not only set up their classrooms and set up learning for students, but how they execute that. And I can tell you that in our district, there's just a high level of talent and, and compassion and execution. Besides the pandemic, what would you say is another big challenge of your role? Yeah, there are a number of challenges in the role of superintendent. Obviously, having to turn on a dime. Oftentimes, you'll notice even in those priorities that I shared, they're unified in the sense that they're all to provide this opportunity for students. But when you're getting into resource management or facilities, it's, it's very different than teaching and learning and education plans. And so a lot of the challenge is pivoting between priorities and making sure that each of them get the attention that they need. I would say the pandemic has raised the variables. And so I would say that the number of variables that we have to deal with have increased. And that's a challenge, just the sheer number of variables. That job was tough, although I wasn't doing it as a superintendent. I certainly was a cabinet official outside of the pandemic. There were difficult variables that we had to juggle then. So through this lens and under this umbrella, those things become a little bit more exponential. For me, also, getting to know a new community, I relish that opportunity, and I've enjoyed getting to know not only city officials, but other leaders in the community, families, and school communities to the extent you can, but those are certainly constrained during pandemic times. There's certainly been some optimism with some of the regulations changing that has provided an opportunity for us to convene and to gather a little more regularly, and to do so even to be able to see each other's faces is kind of a thing that I think for a long time we might have taken for granted. That is something that I certainly appreciate, but I would say that is a challenge in a new community, getting to know new people and only seeing half of their face. That's hard to necessarily feel that same level of connection. So I'm I'm excited about the fact that we're able to do that now, and I'm really optimistic about that moving forward. Even to that point, you and I have spoken via email quite a bit, and this is the first time we're actually seeing face-to-face. Exactly, and I think you've seen the world move in that direction in so many ways. That's not just a superintendent education thing, but certainly education has a pronounced impact impact on just utilizing digital means, technology. That's wonderful that in some ways that it's pushed our edge on technology, but it cuts both ways. We're able to connect easier and more efficiently than ever before, but sometimes that can be impersonal. So much of the work we do in schools is really person-based. It's that face-to-face that really does help us to communicate just like in any other relationship. So certainly, yes, we've communicated via email and we knew each other's names and you can only learn so much about people in two dimensions. And so being able to be in three dimensions is always welcomed. It just makes it so much easier. And looking ahead a little bit, so we've talked a little bit about what you've had to experience last eight months, all those challenges. Looking ahead, what are some things in addition to the literacy program that you're excited to tackle? 
really looking at our, our resources and our structures. Again, the pandemic has brought in unique funding sources, but not necessarily plans associated with those. So a lot of times the same people that we've tapped for a lot of things get stretched. And so how are we aligning ourselves? That's work ahead. Certainly, we want to make sure we're developing our, our school leaders, making sure that they have not only resources and support, but the guidance and development they need. We also want to encourage aspiring administrators to step up into levels of leadership. We have the same challenges as everywhere else with staffing. And so that's one of the things we're looking ahead to. Um, We're doing real well with that. We've had some success at job fairs and uh, that district office has people interviewing and coming in to do orientation every day. And so we're optimistic about that, but that is the work that's ahead of us is making sure that we're staffed and structured appropriately for what we hope to be a a very interpersonal and pandemic-free future. So you spoke about employment opportunities, but out of curiosity, are there volunteer opportunities as well for people that want to get involved that maybe don't have that background? That's one of the pieces that we've been working on the past couple of months is what does volunteerism look like when you've been shut down for a couple of years and those opportunities haven't been there? How do we get people back on site? And so we recognize the importance of that. One of the things that actually we discussed at our last board meeting was a proposal for volunteer Uh, processes and procedures that would increase some safety and security things that we've wanted to do over time, even pre-pandemic, but then also address the things we need to to get folks back on site. And again, there's folks who've been ready to do that for some time and then others who are still in a different place. And so, yes, the answer to your question, will there be? Absolutely. And that, and we've spent a lot of time on this proposal to hopefully streamline some things, increase and enhance our safety and security, but then also get folks back on. Just like I said, this is a relationship business. And when your relationships aren't in place, our kids don't get served to the best of our ability. And so we know that it's partnerships with families, partnerships with our community that are going to help serve our kids. And so that has been, I think, one of the tragedies over the past couple of years. And it's also why we're moving with, I would say, importance and urgency to make sure that those things are the way they need to be so that as those opportunities arise, we're ready to go. It's such a cliche to say, but it really does take a village in that respect. It does take a village. And when the the village has been separated by (laughs) so many different things and, and everybody's villages have been impacted, that's the work we're trying to make sure flourishes as we get out of one time and hopefully permanently out of that time. But that's what we've been navigating. And, you know, again, optimistic and excited about making sure those relationships are in place. Certainly, there isn't anybody who can deny the value of those things. We need we need that village intact and we want that village intact. And there's some pieces along the way that need to be addressed in order to make that happen. But that's where we're at right now. Before we wrap up, Jeff, is there anything that I maybe haven't brought up that you wanted to discuss that you want people to be aware of? That's a great question. I mentioned it in the middle of our interview when talking about teaching and learning, but just the fact that we're celebrating staff and teacher appreciation week. And I think there've been many things placed upon many people during this uh, pandemic, but none more so than educators who work with our students. Certainly appreciate uh, everything that they've done over the past couple of years, everything they continue to do. Certainly know that it is a struggle to do the high level work that they do under the circumstances they've done it. So, you know, again, I probably want to double down on the fact that we so appreciate the folks who use their talent to serve our kids. And every day I'm honored to see those folks and to interface and and work with them. But I would definitely say, yes, want to make sure they're appreciated and 
and know how much that their community, uh, the world, cares about the great work that they do. I think it's terrific. I mean, just really some of the unsung heroes here. It's so true. I don't think there's, I mean, we're not going to be able to write enough songs to sing the praises <laughs> of, of educators during this time. It's never easy to do that job. It's never easy to juggle all the things you need to do to serve kids well, but to do it under the conditions that we've had to do it and to turn on a dime. Really, any educator out there, they deserve our appreciation and gratitude, but certainly the staff and teachers in our district definitely want them to know how much they're appreciated. I think that's a great note to end it on, and that's it for today's episode of Clock with the Press. Thank you again to Jeff Palmquist for joining us today. Thank you, Jake. I really appreciate this opportunity. It was a great conversation. For you listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. If you'd like to read more news stories of East Contra Costa County, you can do so through our website at www.thepress.net or through our Twitter and Instagram at PressClockedIn. Contact us with your thoughts on this episode or any before it. We've set up a new email address, podcasts at broadpress.com. You can write to us, share your thoughts, and if we like them, we may share them on the air. Thanks again for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. This is Jake Menez, Clocking Out. again to this week's sponsor, Sip and Scoop. Remember that feeling of hearing the ice cream truck coming down the street as a kid? Bring back that feeling by visiting Sip and Scoop. They started out as a truck too, and now they have a brick and mortar shop right here in Brentwood, so you don't have to chase them down the block. Sip and Scoop has all kinds of high quality desserts to satisfy any sweet tooth. Gelato, root beer floats, and iced coffees are just a few of my favorites. And the whole menu is available to go on DoorDash. Stop by their shop in downtown Brentwood and get your scoop on.